If you are a lady, we have a women's gathering place, renewed women's gathering here on Tuesday from 6 to 7.30. Uh, my wife, Paul, and I get to teach together on not using negative words towards each other, so pray for us. And I'll tell you, we're going to share a story I'm very embarrassed to even say from stage, but you'll have to come, ladies, and it's really embarrassing. Anyways, so that's this Tuesday, 6 to 7.30, so hope to see you here. Also, as a chapel, we want to continue to build a culture of family. That's part of our 2023 vision. And sometimes when you're going through something hard in life, it can feel like you're not connected or people don't care. And so we want to make sure to show that care. And so what we're doing this weekend is launching a brand new ministry called Blessings of Hope. And it's our chapel cancer care ministry. There's some ladies in our church who just understand the pain, emotional, spiritual, physical pain of cancer and how isolating that can feel. And so they have put together these gifts that want to drop off at your house or someone that you know if they're going through something with cancer, their house too, just to show the love of Christ. So if you are interested in signing up for that or you know somebody that you want to sign up on their behalf, make sure to get their permission first. Go to our Welcome Center afterwards. You can fill out a card, and we want to just show the love of Christ to those going through some really hard times. Finally, uh, we've been saying yes all summer, and we still want to say yes uh, when it comes to serving in our chapel kids ministry in August. We still have some spots to fill. It's just one service once in the summer, and so if you could just come one service, even if you miss time in here, just one time if you go and say, hey, I want to love on kids. I know last night I was talking to Cecily, who leads our early childhood, and she was scrambling even to find leaders for today, and so you could be a blessing to them today. So go out and say yes at the table when you're gone, or when you leave and help uh, come alongside of our families. Thank you so much. Benjamin Franklin, he said this famous quote. Many of you have probably heard it. He says, in this world, nothing is certain except death and taxes. How hope-filled this morning. Benjamin Franklin's a lot smarter than me, but I have to disagree with him here. Though he's not wrong that it's true that all of us have to pay taxes and all of us are going to die someday, one thing that all of us go through in this life that we all have in common, that we can be certain of happening in our lives, is pain. All of us go through pain. Some of us in this room understand what that pain feels like because you're going through it right now. Now, there is suffering and pain that we go through as a result of our own actions. There are things that we do to ourselves that affect our lives and other people's lives. I'm not talking about that kind of pain. I'm talking about the pain that you don't choose. The pain that chooses you. The pain that you can't control what happens to you. Speaking of cancer, no one chooses cancer. Oftentimes it finds you. It finds you in a, your life where everything's going fine, then you don't feel well, then all of a sudden you have this diagnosis, and you're like, what just happened? I know many people in this church who are victims of infidelity. They're trying to put the piece of their lives back together. Some of us in this room have gone through divorce, and we know how painful that is on, on you or, or your kids. I know my parents are divorced. That was hard on me. I know some of you in this room are just walking through depression, walking through life with anxiety and crippling loneliness. And though you may not show it on your face, you struggle to even get out of bed and really make it through life. I think of some, uh, some I can't even say your name, um, Simone Biles. 
this past week, she was so courageous to say, look, I, I know I'm the GOAT, which is the greatest of all time, but I can't perform. I have something going on. A mental health struggle, it's, a, it's an epidemic in our culture. I'm in counseling for my own struggles. It's real. Some of us know what it looks like to have to go through those things in life. And if you're a Christ follower, well, you also know there's another layer of pain that many of us have to go through. Many of us have to understand what it feels like to be excluded. Maybe you're in a part of a friendship group and all of a sudden they don't include you as much anymore and you realize it's because of what you believe, because of your faith, or because of what you value. People exclude you at work and it's not because you're doing a bad job, it's because you go to church and they don't like that. Or some of us know the feelings of doubt and darkness and pain when Satan, the scripture says that Satan goes around like a lion looking for someone to devour. And that day, you've been devoured. You know what it feels like to wake up and question if you believe in God and question if God exists and is Jesus who he says he is. Those are the things that we go through as Christ followers. And we can't control what happens to us. It's inevitable. But what we can control is how we respond to it. You cannot control the pain and suffering that comes into your life, but you can control what you do with it. A pastor said this recently, and it really resonated with me. He said, sometimes God allows something to happen to you so that he can do something in you in order to do something through you. That sometimes things happen in life to you so that God can use those in you to become more like Christ. And when you become more like Christ, he wants to use that and do something through you. Imagine if we approached our life in that way, that no matter what comes our way, that we're able to say, God, I want you to use this for my good and ultimately use it for your glory. That's the path of trusting God when life doesn't go our way. What would it look like in your life to be able to live that out? Well, in Revelation chapter 14, we're going to look at how you and I, when we go back to real life tomorrow, how we can say, I can choose what happens, or I can choose how I respond to whatever happens to me today. So have you open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 14. We're going to be in the first seven verses today. The themes in the latter half of chapter 14, we're going to cover over the next couple of weeks as we will take a little turn and look at something different over the next few weeks. But for today, I want to look at what is happening in the first seven verses of chapter 14. And what I want to do is I want to start actually with the end. I want to see what is exactly happening during this time to understand what the churches are going through during this, tri this painful time of trial. Here's what verses 6 and 7 say. It says, and I saw another angel flying through the sky, carrying the eternal good news to proclaim to the people who belong to this world and to every nation, tribe, language, and people. Fear God, he shouted. Give him glory, for the time has come when he will sit as judge. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all the springs of water. I love this passage of scripture because it tells us that there still is hope. Why is there hope? Because the good news, the good news that Jesus came, died, and rose again, that message is still being proclaimed. And as you read Revelation, you will notice that that message will evaporate pretty quickly, that it's only going to be God's judgment. But there is still hope hope at this time, that people can know who Jesus is, whose job is to herald that kind of hope? The church. 
Even though behind them they see this evil and suffering that we can't even fathom in our culture, the church is now called to be a light in the darkness. And that's not just in Revelation 14, that's in 2021 today. That no matter what's happening around us, we are called to shine a bright light into the darkness. And what I like to say is, yeah, it's really, really dark out, but because it's really, really dark out, our light should shine brighter than ever before. And the way our light can shine brightly is how you and I deal with pain and suffering. That those around you who may not believe in God may actually get a sense of who he is based upon how you and I walk through this broken world. So let's look at what that looks like. Go back up with me to verse 1. Revelation 14, verse 1. It says, Then I saw a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. I love this scene. Jesus is standing in the center of Mount Zion, and around Jesus are the church, followers of Jesus. And they get this picture This picture of Jesus standing, what's the big deal of that? Well, standing is a military metaphor. It signifies victory. Our God is victorious over all of evil and suffering forever. And he's standing in the midst of Mount Zion. Mount Zion was the center of God's renewed kingdom. All that we see that's broken in our world, God is renewing that. And here is Jesus in the midst of that saying, I win in the end. That's why we're going through Revelation as a church. We're not here to put puzzle pieces together. We're not here to decode some kind of weird code that's in Revelation. We're not here to put Revelation on a timeline. We're here to get a glimpse of our God who stands in victory over all of the pain and brokenness in this world. What hope that we have. And because Jesus rules and reigns and he is victorious, then we ought to live in light of that. That's the first way that we approach pain and suffering, that we trust God as we live as though Jesus occupies the throne. Now, if you're like me on a Sunday morning, I hear that, I'm like, amen, let's go. Jesus occupies the throne. He is in control. He wins in the end. But why don't we live that come Monday? Have you ever noticed, like, you come to church, you're fired up, let's go. Jesus wins, I win. And then you go back to Monday, and you're like, ah, Monday wins. (laughs) Why is that? How do you know that Either God is on the throne or something else. Well, look at your life for a moment. Are you worried all the time? Do you have to control everybody in every situation in your world? Do you feel like you wake up and you're just living in dread and you're restless all day? Do you feel angry and you're lashing out all the time? Are you living selfishly and making life just all about you and everyone else needs to get in line? It's a sign that Jesus is not on the throne of your life. You are, or somebody else is, or something else is. 
Because there is something deeper going on in our lives to produce restlessness, to produce fear, to produce anger. And when you track it all the way down, it shows us that we don't truly believe that God is in control. And we react accordingly. Or how about pain and suffering? Whether you're going through something now or you're just coming out of something or you're ready to get into something, how do you normally respond when life doesn't go your way? If it's true that in verse 1 it says we're victors in Jesus, my question is, why do we often walk around as victims? Why do we walk around not expecting things that are bad to happen to us? Why do we walk around and we just blame God for everything that's going on or we, we question if he really loves us or whatever that looks like? Why do we live that way? We walk around oftentimes as victims instead of living as victors in Christ. Now, I'm not downplaying what you're going through. If you, if you were to say, but Eric, you don't know what I'm going through, I would say, no, I don't. You don't know what I'm going through either. I get it. I'm not saying you walk around and you be fake. I'm not saying you walk around and act like everything's fine. But what I am saying is there is a truth that Jesus reigns and rules on the throne. Why don't we live accordingly? Maybe today Jesus is saying, stop looking down and start looking up. Stop putting your eyes on you or the situation or what the future can look like and put them on the one who is standing victorious in Mount Zion. The one who has the final victory in the end. Imagine living your life in light of that, not in response to our circumstances. That's what Jesus is calling you and I to do is to live as those who are victorious, to make sure God is on the throne and something else isn't. For when we live that way, then we can do the second way for you and I to handle pain and suffering in a way that trusts God, and it's this. It's to sing a song of joy in the face of suffering. Let's go on, verses two and three. It says, and I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of mighty ocean waves, the rolling of loud thunder. It was like the sound of many harpists playing together. This great choir sang a wonderful new song in front of the throne of God and before the four living beings and the 24 elders. No one can learn this song except the 144,000 who've been redeemed from the earth. A couple years ago, one of my good friends from high school was coming up and he wanted uh, Todd and I to meet his coworkers. They lived, uh, they worked at this nonprofit Christian mission organization in southern Ohio. And he's like, hey, we're going to be in town. Why don't you come and have lunch with us? And we said, yeah, that'd be great. So we went to Panera and you know how you meet somebody and you say, hey, how are you? Good to meet you. And then you stand in line and then you're trying to figure out what you want to eat. And you're making small talk as you do that. And Todd and I were, were making small talk with these guys. And all of a sudden next to me, this guy who's just huge, he starts to sing, sing a worship song. I'm not saying like he was singing to himself, like amazing grace. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. You don't want me to sing, trust me. I felt like I wasn't at Panera. I felt like I was at this dude's concert. I mean, he put on a show. He was singing so loudly that we heard him. The workers heard him. All of Panera heard him. All of Sandusky heard him. I, I'm not kidding you when he was singing that loudly. And I just met this dude like five minutes before that. And I'm thinking as people are looking at this guy, like, I don't know this dude. Don't, don't have me associate myself with him. 
Like I'm, I'm like waiting for a phone call so I can bounce out of there because I was so embarrassed by this guy. It was ridiculous how loud this guy was singing. And then I finally looked up at him and my embarrassment quickly changed to humility. I looked at his face, he's a little higher, I looked at his face and I saw a face of peace and of joy and of love that I have never witnessed before. It was as if he was so in love with Jesus, he was going to sing about it and he didn't care who heard him because he was just singing his heart out to Jesus. That's what's going on in this passage. The church is singing so loudly that it sounds like the mighty ocean waves. This church of 144,000, which is this symbol of all the church from different tribes, nations, tongues, all together singing around the throne. And it wasn't like things were easy for them. Suffering and evil was ratcheted up way worse than we ever could think about. And yet here they were, and they just had to sing. Even though they were going through unspeakable pain and unspeakable suffering, they still sang their song. What song is your life singing today? I'm not saying you have to go into Panera and start singing. It's really weird when you do that. Like, this guy could pull it off, but I don't know if many people could. I'm not saying you should join the worship team and sing with Neil or Meg or Jeremy and Spencer. They do a great job. What I'm saying is, does your life sing? Jesus says, what's in you will come out of you. You can't trick your hearts. And if Jesus truly occupies the central place in your life, I promise you, your life will sing. Your life will sing a beautiful note of grace, of love, of humility, of selflessness, of generosity. People should not have to guess if you're Jesus's. They should just know by the way your life sings among them. What about when hard times come in your life? This pain and suffering, whether it's to suffer for Jesus or suffer because we live in a broken world, does your song get turned down or does it actually get turned up? I know a lot of people who praise God when things are going good, but when it doesn't, all of a sudden their song is on mute. Church, we need to get to the point in our lives where we don't care what we're going through, that people will know that our God reigns and that they can know by the way our life sings. When you're at work or you're around your friends or whoever you're around, it shouldn't matter. They should have a better picture of Jesus because they were around you. What does your life song sing? One of my mentors in life, his name is Tim Keller. He does not know he's my mentor, by the way, but he lives in New York City, written all these books, and you've heard me quote him often, but this guy, man, he is the real deal. He wrote this article recently for the Atlantic, and it gained traction around the world. And in this article that he read, uh, wrote for the Atlantic, he said this, I can sincerely say without any sentimentality or exaggeration that I've never been happier in my life, and that I've never had more days filled with comfort. And you may say, good for him. He's living the good life. The title of the article that he read, excuse me, wrote, is Growing My Faith in the Face of Death. 
Tim Keller was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer a year ago, and he's doing really well. Numbers are trending upwards. Everything's great. But he writes this article about what he's had to go through and that he has always taught about suffering, and he's gone through a lot of things, he and his wife both, but never had to face death's doorstep. And in it, he is so honest and raw and real about his life, but at the end of this article, you can just tell that his life is just a song back to God, and it has had a tremendous effect both on Christ followers and non-Christ followers. There are people in your life who will not step foot in this church. There are people in your life that have no idea what the Bible says. All they know is you claim to follow Jesus, and they're watching how you respond. Not when life is rainbows and butterflies and unicorns, but when life is really hard, when life is falling apart, will your life still sing? Now, I'm not saying you walk around and and you just act like everything's okay because that's not biblical faith. Biblical faith is raw and gritty. Biblical faith is questioning and and you have doubts in your life. Biblical faith is filled with lament, which means you somehow trust God as you're still angry with him and you're living in that tension. But biblical faith at the end of the day has this peace that transcends understanding. This biblical faith has love and joy that's at the center of all things and that should come out of us no matter what we're going through. And if not, we should ask ourselves why. Again, we go back to is Jesus on the throne because if he is, you and I can handle anything because in the end he wins. And because he wins, people should know he wins by the way we live our lives, whether we're going through something or not. That's the song we ought to sing. What station are people tuned into when they come around you? Do they leave with a worse or better picture of Jesus based upon how your life sings? For we are called to sing a song of joy in the midst of suffering. But that's not just everything. There's one more key step that you and I have to take as we walk through the darkness in this world that's filled with pain and suffering, trust Jesus along the way. And it's this. Follow in Jesus' footsteps. And if you're a Christ follower, you think, yeah, I know. But do you? Here's what verses 4 and 5 say. They have kept themselves as pure as virgins. And then these next two, two, four, six words, I want you to underline them in your Bible. I want you to write them out. And I want you to put them on a card. Put it in your car. Put it in your office. Put it in your kitchen. Whenever you need to read these words. Following the lamb wherever he goes. Many of us live a life and want God to follow where we go. Like, hey, God, I'm going this way. Bless me. If not, well, sorry. I want to go where Jesus wants to go. Like, I want to live my life in such a way that when you come and look at my tombstone, years after I died, I wanted to say, for he followed Jesus wherever he went. Wouldn't that be so good to be known as someone that just went where Jesus went, even when it costs you something? For John continues on, they have been purchased from among the people on the earth as a special offering to God and to the Lamb. They've told no lies, they're without blame. Two things happen here. First, you can tell that the church is becoming more like Jesus. When they follow the Lamb wherever he goes, what they're saying is, I want to become like Jesus. They are pure, they are blameless, they are truth tellers. Like when people are around them, They get a picture of these people look and sound and act like Jesus. Their character is on the path of sinlessness just like Jesus was. I'm not saying we're all, we're not perfect. Of course we're not perfect. What I'm saying is we should be trying to get to that point. Jesus says, be holy as I am holy. Be set apart in your life. Be like me in a world that doesn't love me. I know it's going to be hard, but if you're going to follow me, you got to become like Jesus. 
But we don't just become like Jesus. In fact, I'll be honest, that's probably the easiest part. The Bible doesn't say just become hearers of the word. It says to become doers of the word. We don't just become like Jesus. We go where Jesus went. And when you read the Gospels, Jesus went into the fiery furnace of suffering. He walked right into it. And if you want to follow Jesus, you and I are called to do that as well. It will be a cost, but it's worth it. Well, Peter didn't know that. You look at the Gospel of John, here's Peter and Jesus, and Jesus is about to be arrested. He's been betrayed by Judas, and Peter says, whoa, whoa, whoa. that's not going to happen. Look what John 18.10 says. Then Simon Peter drew a sword and slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest's slave. Peter's like, oh, no, we're not going down with a fight. He was a zealot. He was ready to brawl. You are not going to take my Jesus. You are not going to let him suffer. He is ours. Let's fight. And he draws the sword, and he slashes off the ear of this guy. And many of us in our culture, when we follow Jesus, we amen that. Yes, fight. Go after them. Let's do this. The problem is, Jesus doesn't bless it. It's not the way of Jesus. For the next verse says this, but Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back in its sheath. He says, put the sword down. That is not my way. That is not how we do things as Jesus followers. Put the sword down. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? Peter, stop fighting and start surrendering. Fight against this. We give ourselves to it. And you may say, no, we have to fight. Don't you see what's going on in our culture? If we don't fight, then they're going to win. First of all, who's there? And second of all, have we lost track that our God wins in the end? Is that why we're fighting? Because we forgot that our God is on the throne and he wins in the end. We may lose some battles, but our God wins the war. Have we forgotten that? Because Peter did. Jesus kept saying over and over again, Peter, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to suffer, you're going to suffer, you're going to suffer. And Peter's like, nah. But it's funny. After seeing this happen, after seeing Jesus go to the cross, Peter's writing to the church years later, and look what he said. For God called you to do good, even if that means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his footsteps. Peter doesn't say, Christ followers, in order to do good, pick up your sword and go stab somebody with it. He says, Christ followers, put the sword down and pick up the cross. For that's the way of Jesus. You want to know how I know it works? In our culture, but even in our lives, when you fight your spouse or you're fighting against somebody that has a different opinion than you, what happens in the end? People are bloodied and no one changes. I don't know anyone that's gone into a fight that's actually come out and said, you know what, I went in and stabbed somebody and he changed. It was great. You may laugh, but that's how we live. Jesus says, why don't you try this? When I went to the cross, I died for rebels like you. And because I died, you live. What if instead of us fighting, we suffer? What if instead of fighting, we give our lives away? 
What if it's in a fighting we love? What if it's fighting we surrender? I don't mean that we don't push back. I don't mean that we don't go and we debate. I don't mean that we just allow things to happen. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, if we think suffering is not part of being a Christian, then we haven't read what the Bible says, and frankly, we aren't going to be like Jesus. Jesus wins in the end. Can we start living that way and trust him? For when we do that, we can trust him with our lives. We can live in that in everyday lives. And when we do that, our life sings. People want to hear that song. When we do that, we can follow in his footsteps. And it may cost you something, but it costs Jesus so much more. And in the end, he wins anyways, and so do we. But we live that way. So as we close our time, there's a song that I just love to think about when I'm going through hard times. It's a song that I try to sing to myself because it reminds me of God's faithfulness. I'm just going to ask you to stay seated. You're more than welcome to sing along with our team, but if you just need God's word to just come over you and just settle into your hearts, take this in.
just leave it here. open your hands with me and place them on your legs and just pray with me. Just take a moment of silence and just surrender. Lord, our hands are a reflection of our hearts, which is a reflection of our lives that we are open, we are surrendered to you. God, there's so many times when I try to make scripture say what I want it to say. Or I don't even live in light of you having the final victory, Lord. God, we surrender that. You win in the end, and may our lives reflect that in a world that doesn't know you. We have such an opportunity as the church to be countercultural in so many ways. God, make us that. Help us to be that. We love you, Jesus, and we give our lives back to you in your name. Amen. Would you stand with us? And as we've been doing over the last couple of weeks in Revelation, we end with just saying our benediction verse out loud. So would you say it with me? Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. Have a great day.